Timeout Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. We're privileged to have two-time college basketball national champion and former UCLA Bruin, Mr. Swin Nader, on the podcast. Mr. Nader, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure, Tony. Now, the backstory on how you ended up at UCLA is really quite remarkable, and I've heard you tell the story on some other podcasts, so you don't have to tell all of it again, but for those who may not have heard, how did Coach Wooden get you to UCLA? Well, the short answer is uh, my junior college coach was an All-American for John Wooden in the 50s, Don Johnson, a big guard, 6'3", at that time, very big guard. I didn't play high school basketball. Uh, I tried out for the team, and the coach didn't want me, and he, that was as a junior, and he said, don't even bother coming out as a senior. I was the tallest kid in the school, uh, in a big school, you know, 4,000 people. So I went to junior college at Cypress College, which is uh, in Orange County, California. Cypress College was very young. Uh, it was the third year of their existence. Don Johnson was the coach, and he was a very good coach, uh, just a matter of getting talent in before he started winning. And so I uh, tried out for the team by way of uh, the assistant coach, Frank Lubin, who talked to me on campus first day of school, saw that I was 6'9", and said, hey, you got to play basketball. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, I have never really played, but uh, I'll try. So he worked with me. His uncle was uh, Frank Lubin, uh, All-American at UCLA, and the center on the first United States Olympic team, which won the championship in 1936. Uh, That was Berlin. And I I believe that was Jesse Owens' year also. So uh, Tom worked with me, and uh, the first year I didn't play much except the last two games of the season the coach put me in, and I started doing pretty well. That summer I went into the ghettos of L.A. Uh, My coach took me in there in the inner city. And that's where I play every Saturday, all day, and pumped iron and stuff. And by the time I was senior or a, a sophomore, I was six eleven and uh, two hundred and twenty five, which was I'd gained a lot of weight, like twenty pounds. I was the uh, All American and Conference MVP, leading rebounder in the state, first team All State, that kind of thing. And we had a, a really good team that ended up being second in the state. Before the season started, Coach Wooden. Coach Johnson contacted Coach Wooden and said, we'd like to play your freshman team. In those days, the freshmen uh, could not play varsity. So the the freshman team played against junior colleges in the area and almost always at UCLA as a, a game before a regular game, you know, a varsity game. So we played uh, against them, and I had a really good game, uh, like 35 points and 25 rebounds or something. And... Um, and Coach Wooden wanted, uh, recruited me to back up Bill Walton, who was already committed to UCLA. And so he talked to me, and he said, uh, he said, you're not going to start, you're not going to play a lot, but with your body and, and the coaching and playing against the best team in the country in practice every day, he said, I think you'll have a shot at professional basketball. And I said, that sounds like a good investment to me, mm-hmm. you know, instead of going somewhere and I, I took my trips, you know, Florida State, Denver, you know, uh, schools that were good, really good programs, but decided to go to UCLA. 
Coach Wood had noted on multiple occasions the, the jumps that you made from that first year to the second year and then to your final year there at UCLA. And, you know, he spoke a lot throughout his career about how he really believed that, that what he was doing was, was not just coaching young men, but the teaching side of things and using that gymnasium as his classroom. So I kind of wanted to hear from somebody who was under those practices every day and someone who really you know, thrived underneath of that. What was it about his teaching that made it so effective and made you better as a person and a player? Of course, I didn't know at the time how great of a teacher he was. I had only had one coach, and that was John um, Don Johnson, and he was very good. So I thought, this is the way they coach, right? <laughs> uh, I didn't understand. I know we had uh, championship teams several in a row, but we had talent also. I didn't understand the methods that John Wooden used to teach until I became a coach. And I did some research and talked to him a lot and I ended up writing a book uh, about his teaching methods with a UCLA professor, Ron Gallimore. The book is entitled, You Haven't Taught Until They Have Learned. Mm. And that's available on Amazon. So, you know, looking back, it was, uh, he was a master teacher. He just understood uh, teaching. And, and, and here's the thing, and here's the reason why he was a master teacher. He understood teaching because he understood learning. And I encourage every teacher to spend time learning teaching methods, but spend more time studying how students learn, whether it's in the classroom or, or anywhere, on the court, field, whatever. How do they learn, right? Uh, and how do they not? How do they not learn? So every summer, off season, he took one part of the game of basketball, like let's say out of bounds plays or full court press or half court offense, whatever it may be, and he um, sent questionnaires to some of the best coaches in that area in the country, which they returned. He got uh, a lot of data there, and then he read every book written on the subject or that had that subject in it. And he compiled his notes and came up with his conclusions. So it was a kind of a modular system of learning where you get piece by piece by piece by piece. And uh, but you know that started in 1948 at UCLA and ended in 75. So you can imagine how much he learned mm -hmm. that time. But he also visited psychology classes at UCLA. Was able to sit in and uh, talk to the teachers about uh, kids. You know, he kept notes on all of us on on uh, how we learned. Uh, he said he uh, he had a guy 10 years before me that was very much like me, and he, he went back to his notes that he kept on that kid to try things on me to see um, if those things would work on me. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of, um, of what he did in teaching that would give you an idea of how far above and deep he was in his method. He never introduced and had us do something new on the same day. So if he were to put in a, a new drill, for example, or a new a part of the offense, he would introduce it, let's say on Monday, and, uh, and walk through it. And then he'd say, okay, tomorrow we're going to do this. And that allowed us to, that to sink in so that the next day it would be um, still fresh and we were able to do it much better after waiting a day than if we were to try it right then. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. He also corrected in such a way uh, 
some people call it the sandwich method of correcting. If he were to correct, uh, let's say, Bill Walton, uh, which happened a lot, right, uh, in practice, he would first uh, say, well, let's say Bill um, made a pass that was that didn't quite get to the to the, the receiver uh, at the right time or with the right uh, technique. He would say, Bill, okay, here's the way that you're supposed to do it. Here's the way you did it. And then here's the way you're supposed to do it again. So not that fast, of course, he would show. When you correct somebody, if you start out with, no, 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 don't do it that way, mm-hmm. you immediately put them on the defensive and they stop learning. You can see this when a coach takes a player out of the game uh, and starts talking to him in his face about what he did wrong, uh, the kid can't hear. He can't listen. But if you were to say, okay, here's the way you're supposed to do it and, and show that, then immediately the player matches that with what he just did, and he already has taught himself. You're already halfway there, right? Mm-hmm. And then you show him how he did it so you can see the difference again, and then you finish it with the positive, the way you're supposed to do it, and then you go back into the, the play. Uh, and he goes into the play having the last thing that he has seen is the correct way. This is, you know, master teaching. All that took uh, 15 seconds or less. No correction was ever more than 15 seconds. He integrated uh, free throws into practice. Most coaches have free throw time in practice where kids shoot 20, 31, you know, 10 minutes of free throws. That's not game-like. You don't get 25 free throws in a row in a game, unless they change the rules and then, you know, they just count all the fouls and then at the end people start shooting free throws to you win. <laughs> um, but I don't want to give anybody any ideas. So um, during scrimmage, uh, when you're out of the scrimmage, you have to make four or five, whatever the coach determines, free throws in a row on the side with a manager to keep you honest. As soon as you hit four in a row, then you uh, can check yourself back in the scrimmage. This way coach didn't have to worry about the free throws. The free throws were part of the game. They were integrated into the game. They came sporadically as they do in a game. And he didn't have to worry about substituting because you knew who you were going to come in for during the game. So all those rotations would take care of themselves. These are just a few of the things that coach uh, arrived at uh, in time, uh, studying teaching, studying how students learn. Now, I heard him say that he wanted you guys so prepared that by the time you got to games that he could just go up in the stands and sit and watch. But I know that didn't happen. How did his teaching continue once those games started? There was no teaching during games uh, unless it's, you know, let's uh, out of a timeout, we're going to run this play mm-hmm. or, you know, keep an eye on that guy. He's a, They got a three-point shooter in there or let's be a little more patient, you know, those kind of things. But for the most part, Practice was, you know, practice is a whole, <laughs> whole other subject, mm-hmm. the way that moved, because we got more done in one day than most coaches got done a week. <laughs> we, we, we didn't sit. We didn't stand. We didn't, uh, we were always moving. We, we played basketball, except for uh, fundamentals, which is 20 minutes, and then a, a three-on-two conditioner, which is a full-court three-on-two to three-on-three um, game, which is, you know, great for us because we ran the ball so much. Uh, it was uh, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, five-on-five. So we're always playing basketball. That's another genius part of what he um, he did. He, he, you know, he figured that the way kids learn to play basketball 
is to play basketball, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, not, not so many drills. And we, we probably had six or seven drills, and that's it. The rest was playing, right, for breakdown stuff. So in the five-on-five, uh, we encountered every situation possible, and, and he allowed us to learn ourselves. You know, he, there were things invented in practice that he never thought of, and in the games as well. He said, I wanted to be as surprised as they were as to what they come up with in the game. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you play against an opponent that you never played against before, you know, you have to improvise. Sure. And we were taught to adjust as we went. Uh, who's hot? Who's not hot? Uh, can we run? Can we, should we press a little more? And, and here's something else from practice. This is not really related to that, but I have to say it before I forget. Tony, we never, in, in a full-court scrimmage, we'd start on one end. Let's say if you're facing the court from the from the 50-yard line, it's on the left side. Let's say the, the first team, you know, the starters had the ball and they were running a certain play that we had worked on, a certain part of the offense against the zone, man, whatever. They would run their offense, and then the ball would turn over, right, either by way of a, a turnover or a, a made basket to an out-of-bounds, an inbounds, or a rebound, missed shot and rebound. And then the other team would, would fast break to the other end on the right side. And once we took a shot, that was it. He stopped. The first team went back on offense on that side, mm-hmm. opposite of what they were before, right? They're back on offense, and then we do the same thing. That lasted for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. We never, ever went down and back in practice. Never. Mm-hmm. Always down. We got our running in, you know, during fundamentals and, you know, fast break drills and we went to Canister. But isn't it amazing that yeah, really how great a full court team we were when we didn't really practice going full court? Yeah. So yeah. I, Coach Wooden is known for those one, one or two line quotes. Is there one in particular that maybe helped you or, you know, something that made an impact on you when you were a player but now is something that you live by or something that you're frequently reminded by on a regular basis now as an adult? Oh, many. The best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. Hmm. Um, be quick but don't hurry. That's deep. Driving a car is a good uh, way to illustrate that. Accidents happen when people get in a hurry. Sure. They get impatient. They get behind somebody that's too slow or they're trying to make that green light and they go around somebody. I mean, it's happened to me, right? Sure. So uh, when you hurry too much, accidents happen. But you have to be quick or you're never get anything done. So there's this balance. And there's a line, right, of being quick up to a certain point. Now, he wanted us to, in practice, to push ourselves quick, quick, quicker, quicker mm-hmm. until we didn't make mistakes. And then you learn from that and you go back and do it again. And eventually that line goes more and more. So you're able to go faster and faster without making mistakes through repetition. But yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good one. And uh, it applies to a lot of things. You got to be quick, like a shooter, right? A shooter has to be a quick shooter or he's never going to get a shot off. There, I've seen a lot of great halftime shooters that can make five or 15, 20 three-pointers in a row, but they're slow shooters and they, they can't play basketball. But they can put on a heck of a halftime show, right? <laughs> so you got to be a quick shooter. So he taught us uh, quickness, always quick, 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 everything quick. Um, it's amazing what a team can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. This is what he was always striving for to, to develop in us. And he did it by example mostly because mm-hmm. he didn't take the credit for anything. Mm-hmm. But no, he took the credit for the, if 
something went wrong. But if we did something right, it was all about us. And, you know, like when he got interviewed on TV after the game, always gave credit to us. And they always had a couple of us there for the interview. You know, we were still in our basketball clothes. We didn't go in the locker room yet. And he would uh, praise us. And it would never be the leading scorer. It would be someone who had a great rebounding night or somebody who played a great defensive, did a great defensive job on one of their best players. Those are the ones who got the credit. And so he did it by example, and we followed suit. So uh, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Mm-hmm. That's really important. It applies to practice, applies to a lot of things. And, of course, you know, his definition for success, which is the peace of mind, which is a direct result of the self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to become the best of which you are capable. And those are just a few. But, you know, the interesting thing is this is the way he talked all the time. <laughs> he talked in axioms, right? Uh, there was always something that come up, and he, he never made them up. He borrowed them from Abraham Lincoln. Like, you can learn something from everyone, although most of the time that it's what not to do, but that's learning just the same. And so he would spew that out. And uh, so he talked like that, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to become more like that. It's, and my grandsons, they really love him. They, mm-hmm. they love those little things. They're little nuggets of truth that they can hang on to and remember. And, and they go, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. From what I've heard from you in some interviews that you've done and other things that I've read, it would appear that, that sports has had a significant impact on your life. And so as we wrap up, can you share with our listeners what you do now and the messages that you're sharing with others? Well, I worked for Costco 25 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my job. But I do also speak and that kind of thing. You know, and I, and I teach uh, post-play from time to time, teaching kids. I got back from Germany in October, and Holland and Germany, and did five clinics there. Sports is, uh, you know, they say it's a microcosm of life. I guess it is. Um, it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can learn a lot from sports if you do it right mm-hmm. and if you learn. You know, like, for example, it's amazing what a team can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. Well, there are players in the NBA, they're great players, that never learn that. One is a guard for Houston. He just doesn't get it. He doesn't know how to be in the flow and take what he can get and uh, make everybody else better. Now, Jordan was a great example of that, and the, the greatest player in the game, Bill Russell, was a great example of that. Larry Bird, great example of that. And there are players today that are great team players. Sports is just, uh, it's fun, it's good for you, it's uh, exciting, and it's just great to be part of a group of players that think alike and are working together and are improving, and they like each other. You know, I work for Costco here. I'm looking around. I'm at work right now. I'm looking around at people that, uh, there's uh, Brett, you know, Brett's a great guy. He's always got one of Wood's quotes on the whiteboard outside the hallway. Um you know, we, we get along. We help each other out. We don't care who gets the credit. We hand out little wristbands. Everybody's got a bunch of them. And if you see somebody doing something really great, you, you give them a wristband. You say, great job. You know, it's the guy across the hall. I threw him one yesterday. <laughs> so you learn things like that. Sports is just awesome. I really miss playing. I, I'm, a, I'm a magician, and, and that's what I do a lot of uh, shows. And, and there are magicians that taught me that are just such great team players. They're, they sacrifice time just to show me how to do this or that. And, of course, I can't reveal any of it on, 
on the phone, Tony. But, <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say <laughs> they're mind blowers. So I learned the joy to be part of a group like that. That um, the most important thing is the group. Well, Mr. Nader, this was an absolute honor, and I can't thank you enough for being willing to share your stories with us. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Tony. God bless everybody. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.